And I want to read you from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. Revelation 3, 7 to 13, and that's also the text for the sermon. So read from Revelation 3, from verse 7. And there we read the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews, and are not, but lie, I will make them come, and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it any more and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches Shall we pray for the preaching? Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you have gathered us around your word so that we can read it together and listen to it being proclaimed. Father, make us hungry for your word since it shows the way to true happiness and life with you. Enlighten the ministers to understand your word. Open their mouths to proclaim it in such a way that there is peace and joy in the church. Bless us now as we listen to your word being proclaimed. Focus our thoughts on it. Shape our lives according to it. Do all this by the power of your Spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you feel about small congregations? 
By human standards, small generally also means being weak. You have little power. You don't have many qualified people or great financial resources. What can a little church do in a big city or in this big world? Such a little church is hardly noticed. A large church can at least still achieve something, have certain influence, you'd say. But such a little congregation, especially in a society where numbers play such a great role, one could feel inferior in such a little congregation. Beloved, in this light, Christ's letter to the church in Philadelphia is very striking. If you look at numbers and resources, the congregation can't compare to other congregations. But Christ is full of praise for this little congregation. In their smallness, they live off Christ's possibilities. They're strong in him. Let's then look at that letter to the Philadelphia congregation. I'll summarise the message as follows. A little church can still be faithful, fruitful and valuable. So a little church can still be faithful, fruitful and valuable. We'll note three things. Firstly, Christ praises the faithful confession of his name. Secondly, Christ gives an open door, shows that they're fruitful. And thirdly, Christ proclaims, promises a place of honour to the victors. He shows how valuable they are. Beloved, in a letter to Philadelphia, we're immediately struck by the tone of this letter. Here there is no admonition or warning. Christ doesn't mention any terrible sin or shortcoming. No, Christ is full of praise. He praises their faithful confession of his name. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. You remain true to my word. The gospel preached to you. You didn't deviate from it. And you continue to stand up for my name. You have not denied means as much as you have defended, confessed, It was worded negatively to indicate that it wasn't something automatic. The church members were pressured to renounce his name. Others tried to pull him away from their good confession, but they persevered. And thus the faithful confession of Jesus' name was not something to be taken for granted. In Philadelphia, the opposition probably came especially from the 
synagogue side from those who claim to be God's chosen people. How dare Christians claim that title? Would the followers of Jesus be God's people? No way. Well, beloved, our glorified Lord tells us who is right in their claim. The Jews call themselves God's people, but in reality, they're a synagogue of God's great adversary, Satan. Their hostility and hatred of Christians reveals their true character. They serve God's opponent. Satan is trying to destroy the church of Christ through the synagogue. Just as he today uses false liberal Christianity against the church of Christ. The fiercest attacks often come from those who claim to be Christians but have departed from the Christian faith. And this makes life difficult for Christians in Philadelphia. On top of that, they're also small in number and power. You have but little power, Christ says. They're only a small group of people. They're no great, there are no great and influential men among them. Christ praises them. They may be small, but they show great loyalty. Despite opposition, they continue to confess Christ. They don't let themselves be intimidated. They don't give up or withdraw. Even under all the opposition, they boldly keep professing the Lord. That's where their strength lies. They remain a church that spreads the gospel in word and deed. Brothers and sisters, this is all the more striking when you look at the situation of the city. Philadelphia was a fairly young city with a relatively small population. The city was regularly hit by earthquakes that didn't make it very attractive to live there. And now in such a small city, the conflict between a true and false church would not have gone unnoticed. It would seem like a very poor situation for evangelism. What are outsiders to think of this? Do not both the Jews and the Christians appeal to the same Old Testament scriptures? Don't they call upon the same Lord God? It must have been very difficult for outsiders to understand this. Just as it can be very difficult today. How do you explain to outsiders the difference between true and false? 
Wouldn't it be better to remain silent in such a situation? The conflict between the true and the false Christians seems like an insurmountable obstacle for the gospel. One would think that the resistance of the Jews and a negative impression that the outsiders receive would render the work useless, fruitless. Forget about it, many would say today. Retreat in your own trusted circle of like-minded people. Outside, you only run against the hard walls of unbelief, misunderstanding and opposition. Well, thankfully, that's not how the congregation of Philadelphia argues. They continue to profess Christ's name publicly. And what do we discover? What looked like an insurmountable wall turns out to be an open door. Christ opens the door to them. That's the second point. Christ gives an open door. An open door. You can all roughly guess what that means. An open door gives access. Allows one to enter. And to what? Does Christ then give his Christians access? The passage points in two directions. Christ first of all gives access to his kingdom, to God. Christ's mention of the key of David in verse 7 points in that direction. There Christ introduced himself as follows. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this. The latter words are almost literally quoted from Isaiah 22, verse 22. There it is said of Eliakim that he will receive the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. Eliakim was appointed as second in charge. He received authority to give people access to the king in his royal palace or to refuse access. Well, Christ now says, I have the key of David. Not to give access to the throne of an earthly king, but to give access to the throne of God Almighty, our eternal king. Beloved, what a comfort for a church facing slander and opposition. The Jews may say that you don't belong to God. But you have kept my word 
and not denied my name. And I have set before you an open door to God and his heavenly throne. You may have access to the throne of God's grace. You may bring all your petitions and needs before God himself and he will heed your pleas. For I give access to God and no one can shut you out. In this way Christ comforts the seemingly weak church and enables her to persevere. But beloved, the image of an open door is also used in scripture to indicate the opening to the gospel. In Corinthians we read that Paul struck an open door in Ephesus. In other words, he could freely preach the gospel there. People were receptive to the gospel, willing to listen. In a similar way, the congregation of Philadelphia receives an open door. Christ creates an opening in the wall of resistance and unbelief. Christ gives access to hearts. Believers can spread the gospel freely and with result. Their faithful testimony bears fruit. Though it is brought in simplicity and with little power, people come to faith and join the small and despised community. Note, beloved, it is Christ himself who works here. Although the faithful church is instrumental in spreading the gospel, this doesn't mean that the church opens hearts, brings about conversion. No, the faithful church that spreads the gospel can never boast in its own power and activity. You don't make converts. It's Christ who changes hearts. It's Christ who breaks through the hard wall of unbelief. It's Christ who throws the door open. Think again of Christ's self-description at the beginning of the letter. He presents himself as the one who decides. He has the key. His decision his decision is decisive. If he opens a door, then all kinds of things are possible. If he shuts the door, then all kinds of possibilities are cut off. Christ, the key bearer, decides on everyone's opportunities and possibilities. What a glorious name to introduce himself with to that small congregation. 
What an encouragement those people receive through such a name. If you only observe the outward circumstances, you would say they have absolutely no chance. What can such a church achieve in that harsh environment? It doesn't have the strength of numbers, nor the power of capital, nor the advantage of extraordinary gifts. You'd say the doors will certainly remain closed to such a congregation. And if that's not the case, then the Jews with their opposition and slander will make sure of it. But Christ says, no one but I decide on this. No one else and nothing else determines the possibilities. The numbers are not decisive, nor are the qualities decisive. The Jews, nor the devil, have authority over this. I alone decide it. And therefore I have set before you an open door. And you may know if I open it, no one will be able to shut it. No Jew or devil can stop you. No enemy, however powerful, will be able to shut that door again. On the contrary, I will force those enemies to their knees. We read the most surprising words. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. I will cause even the people of Satan's synagogue to come. I who have the key of David. I will make rebellious enemies into humble fellow servants. I break through that wall of stubborn refusal. I open the door and they come and bow down at your feet. Can you imagine this? Beloved, the phrase, bow down at your feet, may seem strange to you. But Christ uses a well-known Middle Eastern image here. It was customary for people who were defeated during a battle to bow down at the feet of their conquerors. Why? to indicate that they acknowledge their defeat. In this image, Christ also associates himself with the Old Testament prophecy. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that the Gentiles, the enemies of Israel, would come to them in humility. Listen to Isaiah 60, verse 14. I quote, The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. 
And brothers and sisters, what's striking here is that what Isaiah said the Gentiles will do before Israel, Christ now says the Jews will do before the Christian church. The Jews who boast that they are people of God will be driven to the Christian community. They'll be brought to their knees. They'll acknowledge that the church, which they first hated and slandered, is really the church of the living God. Christ says, I'll make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. The direction here is not from Gentiles to Jews, but vice versa. The Jews will join the church of pagan origin. What a great encouragement to the church at Philadelphia. The congregation suffering from Jewish opposition. While the congregation seems to have no opportunities, Christ opens incredible possibilities. This is also a great encouragement for us today. How easily don't we start calculating our chances? And if we look at how powerful liberal Christianity is, or the so-called Pentecostal or charismatic movement, with its impressive gatherings and programs, then we can easily think, that there's no chance for us. The walls around us look taller and bigger than ever. What then is the sense of proclaiming Christ in such a situation? Shouldn't we rather, rather keep things to ourselves and leave that task to those self-made evangelists? Yes, we're prepared to do something. But then we would first like to see an open door. If only we knew that we would find willing ears and open hearts, then we'd be prepared to make every effort to spread the gospel. But beloved, through this letter, Christ encourages us. In spite of little power, and fierce opposition, the congregation remained faithful. By human standards, they had little hope of achieving anything. Everything was against them. But the members calmly and confidently continued, persevered, didn't let themselves be intimidated. They faithfully stood up for their Lord in public. And what do we see Lord Jesus do? He gives them an open door. He breaks through the hearts and gives repentance even among those fiercest opponents. No, beloved, this doesn't mean that Christ will also give us 
such an open door today. We don't know what he will do. It depends on his sovereign will. As long as we at least remain faithful and don't let ourselves be led by appearances or by fear. As long as we do not retreat and ignore our calling to spread the good news in word and deed. Yes, beloved, it's easy to say that others are doing things wrongly or are misleading people. But what are we doing? For starters, in our personal lives, is my life, is your life truly a light? Do my words lead people to Christ? Do I really reach out with the gospel? We still have a lot to learn in this area. But it's encouraging to know that Christ determines the possibilities. No enemy can stop him. If he opens, no one can close. We live by Christ's possibilities. And whether we gain access to people's hearts and see the fruit of faith is a matter that's in Christ's hands. He only calls us to be faithful witnesses of him. And the results are, so to speak, his problem. Between inverted commas. He knows what he still wants to accomplish through our simple and persistent confession of his name. Beloved, in the last place we see that Christ gives a promise to those who conquer. He promises a place of honour to the victors. Victors. First we hear the promise of protection. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. John saw one vision after another about the hour of testing. The church and the world are facing a difficult times and the worst thing is that during the time hour of trial God can so to speak give back to Satan those who have repeatedly rejected him many do not want to hear it or see it and later it may happen that they're no longer able to see it. Because God sends out a spirit of deception. Here and there church members fall asleep. Later they may not be able to wake up again. 
when God spreads a spirit of deep sleep over them. This is the thing we must fear most for the church and for the world. Just imagine it, that our country or we ourselves would be completely surrendered to Satan again. Then all hope is lost for our country and for us. Life then becomes a hell and ripe for the final judgment. Will we persevere? Christ promises his faithful witnesses that he will keep them in the hour of trial. And that promise holds true today as well. But then we must remain faithful. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on to the gospel. Treasure it. Don't give up any part of it so that no one can take away your crown. And Christ continues, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore. Christ gives the victors a fixed place in his temple. A place of honour. There will be pillars in his temple. Pillars on which the roof rests. What a great promise for ordinary church members. They have little power. What can they do for the kingdom of God? But they will receive the honour of being the pillars upon which the building rests. No, not only great church leaders can do or mean something for God's kingdom. All who are faithful are valuable to God. All may be called pillars in God's temple. And according to tradition, a pillar must have an inscription in it on it. And therefore Christ continues, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven and my, my new name. And what does it mean that Christ writes these names on them? Why do you write your name in front of a book? to indicate that the book belongs to you. And so Christ writes the name of his God on those pillars to indicate that they belong to him. They belong to God the Father. They are his precious possession. It is further stated that they belong to the city of God, the new Jerusalem. If you belong to God, then you also belong to the city of God, the church of God. Never separate those two. 
as people often do today. As if the gathering of God's people were unimportant. No, when you belong to God, you belong to his people. And finally the victors are shown to be Christ's possession. They receive his new name. The name above every name that he received at his glorification, a most glorious name. Brothers and sisters, what a great prospect for the church, for believers who remain faithful and therefore hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Keep Christ's words and confess his name. Let no one distract you from it. Just continue with it. Focus on him who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Live by Christ's possibilities. Trust in him. It may seem that you have little power, But even a little church can be faithful, fruitful and valuable through him who gives us strength. Amen. Let us pray. Faithful God and Father, Thank you for your encouragement. We are a relatively small church and a small federation of churches. Grant that we don't let ourselves be discouraged or intimidated by anti-Christian forces around us. Make us faithful in confessing your name in word and deed. Give us a heart for the lost around us. Realising that unless they repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, they will be lost forever. Thank you for the open door Christ has given us to your throne of grace. Pour out on us your spiritual blessings so that we may be useful instruments for the progress of the gospel. Grant to us as church and as individuals, people whom we can connect with and with whom we can share the gospel. Create opportunities and get us to see those opportunities and to use them well. Grant open doors for the gospel, hearts that are receptive. May many around us be drawn out of darkness into your wonderful light. Father, give us patience and perseverance, leaving the results to you so that your name may be glorified 
through our humble witness in a society which is busy trying to remove your name from the public square. Bless us and cause us to be a blessing to all those around us. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen.